At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Well, good morning, church family. I want you to know there are 40 days. That's it. That's all you've got. 40 shopping days until Christmas. A little public service announcement for you today. Now, I'm sure that when I said that, some of you went, uh-oh. Just 40? That's it? That's all I've got? Yep, that's all you've got. But I don't want you to get too stressed about that reality about what's coming in the next 40 days. Most of us will experience sort of that crush of activity. The pace will pick up. We'll get a little more intense. I don't want you to think about that. Take a deep breath, everybody. (sighs) Okay. Now, what I do want us to consider is the significance of the the, uh, number 40. That number has a great deal of significance both in our world as well as in the Scriptures. Now, here's what I want us to consider for just a moment. Forty is the age when you and I officially become middle-aged. It stings a little bit, doesn't it? Forty is the gestation period of a pregnancy. Forty is the cultural norm for the work week. And perhaps a little, a little unknown fact for you. Minus 40 is the only temperature where Fahrenheit and Celsius meet. It's the only spot where they combine. Now those are realities of our world. Let's turn our attention to the scriptures where we see that the number 40 repeat, uh, appears repeatedly. And when it does, it does so with really important activities. Things and experiences that are significant. 40 is the number of days of the great flood. We all know that it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. 40 is the number of years God's chosen people spent wandering in the wilderness. 40 is the number of days that our Lord spent in the desert, fasting, struggling, and waiting. I want you to know I'm not a big numerology guy. I don't get all wound up too often in the significance of numbers and their meaning. But when you talk about the word 40, it is intriguing how often it does come up in the context of Scripture. And so often what's attached to that number is waiting patiently with a desire for something better than what we are experiencing in this moment. Waiting patiently with hope. After 40 days of storms, what happened? There was a rainbow. Following 40 years of wandering, God's people ultimately reached the promised land. 
And after 40 days in the desert, Jesus began his earthly ministry sharing the good news of the gospel, the good news of the coming kingdom after 40 days. So amidst the storms and the challenges of life, there is hope. Now, I want you to know that is a thread that runs through the text that we are going to be looking at today. That thread of hope that runs through this portion of Paul's letter. So I want to encourage you in this moment, go ahead, grab your Bible, pull out your phone, whatever it is that you will follow along on. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I want you to know that as you head out into that uh, hallway down there, there are Bibles there that is our gift to you. Please go ahead and take one of those if you do not have a Bible. But if you do, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be looking at Romans 8, specifically verses 18 through 25. Again, we are in the heart of Romans chapter 8. It is such a significant significant chapter in the scriptures that we want to spend a significant amount of time on it. So that's what we're doing here in the month of November. So turn with me there, Romans 8, and we're going to pick it up at verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's stop right there. What we've just read is a vision-casting sort of text. Right in the middle of Paul's letter, he paints a picture of the future for all Christ followers. That's what we are looking at here. It is a future that is filled with anticipation. It is a future that is filled with eagerness. But it is also a future that invites you and me to wait, to wait. Now, before we dig in any more deeply into this particular text, it's important for us to remember that we are, in fact, right in the middle of Romans chapter 8. We have traveled a little bit of significance in terms of getting here. And so the first eight verses, Paul establishes what it means to have freedom in Christ. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. That's where he begins chapter 8. Then in the next eight verses, we saw that believers have, in fact, been changed. They've been given resurrection life in Christ. You'll remember last week how it started, how it is going. 
They're two different things. And that leads us to today's text, where what we're going to see is a huge difference between the ways of the world and the ways of God when it comes specifically to that issue of hope. When we talk about hope, here's what I mean. I want you to think about something right where you are just for the, the moment. What is it that you're hoping for today? Think of something. What is it in our world that you are desiring today? Now, you're in church, so your answer might sort of be more of the religious nature, the spiritual nature, the spiritual significance. But what I'm asking you to think about is something that you want for in this world. Now, if you couldn't think of anything, I want to give you a few to potentially consider. For our kids today, what they are hoping for is that they will pass the science test on Tuesday. It is huge. It's very important. I must pass that test. For the adults in the room, we hope that we do, in fact, get the Christmas bonus. We need it. We're banking on it. Things seem to be getting a little more expensive. I really need that Christmas bonus this year. Now, the Detroit Lions, they hope that they'll get their first win of the season. (laughs) Probably not. They can hope. But what's important for us to consider about all of those things that I've just highlighted is those things are best described as uncertain desires, clearly with the lions. Uncertain desires, we want them to happen, but they are rooted in little more than a wish. It's like that moment when you step up to the birthday cake. We're wishing something would happen. For the follower of Jesus Christ, those who have placed our faith in the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross, our hope is different. When we are talking about hope, we are not talking about those uncertain desires. Our hope is not a wish. The believer's hope includes confident expectation. I want you to say that phrase with me. Confident expectation. Now we can proclaim that, we can say that in the midst of a world that is clearly in chaos. No matter where you look, there is chaos around us. And yet Christ followers have this confident expectation through the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is who dwells within every believer at that moment of our conversion. When we turn from sin to Christ, God gives us his Holy Spirit. And in doing so, he brings hope. He brings hope in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And this hope gives the believer this sure and this deep-rooted resolve. Because we know with certainty that all things work together for the glory of our God. We know that to be true. It doesn't necessarily make sense to us, but we have faith that that is true. And this is why believers are hope-filled in the face of the challenges and the trials that you and I face. 
That's how we can face really hard, really difficult things with hope because our present sufferings will one day give way to future glory. Our present sufferings will one day give way to future glory. So let's dig a little deeper, specifically at the beginning of today's text. I want you to see how Paul guides us in understanding this. Let's look back at verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the first verse in this portion of text that lays this sort of foundation for us, this real-life experience of the contrast between the struggle that we sense today and we do sense a struggle, don't we? The struggle that we sense today and the hope that we have for a better future, for something that we can look forward to with hope. And Paul does not tiptoe around the issue. He wants us to read, anybody who reads this portion of his word, He wants us to know that all our discomfort, all of our challenges, all of our struggles, they pale in comparison with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lays it out for us. He said they pale in comparison. God is in fact that awe-inspiring. That's our God. Now let me be abundantly clear. That is not to diminish your pain. Some of us in this room today have chronic pain. You wake up every single day and you experience pain. That's a reality. That is not to make light of your challenges. Some of us here today are very concerned about the Christmas season because right now you have bills and they're mounting. That's real. This is not to overlook the struggle. Some of us are here today and they're fighting for their marriage. They're struggling to fight for what might be left of their marriage. They're trying to keep it together. That is not to diminish. Paul is not seeking to diminish those realities. He is not suggesting that your pain isn't real. Rather, what he is saying is that Jesus Christ is that much more amazing. He's that much more amazing. He is incomparable. What makes that statement that much more significant, what makes that statement that much more powerful is knowing the author of that statement. The guy who wrote those words was a guy who was threatened. Now, this is quite a list. Buckle up. He was threatened. He was chased. He was mocked. He was tormented. He was imprisoned. He was stoned with actual stones. He was whipped. And he was shipwrecked. Threatened, chased, mocked, tormented, imprisoned, stoned, whipped, and shipwrecked. That, friends, is an impressive resume of struggle. That is an impressive list of suffering. And that's the guy 
That's the guy who pens these words. Sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory of Christ. The glory of Christ our Lord. The immeasurable glory and the beauty of Christ. Simply stated, the magnificence of God revealed will far surpass anything that you and I can experience in the suffering in our world. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't make it go away. It just puts it in proper perspective. So what you and I should not overlook is that in our world, the suffering that Paul writes of is linked with God's glory. I've just mentioned that a few times, but I want you to know that it is intentionally linked. Suffering and glory are, in fact, inseparable. Let's look back at verse 19 to see how that plays out on a much grander and much more significant scale. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This helps us see vividly that creation groans in hope for full redemption. The creation groans in hope for full redemption. This means that since the fall of man in the garden, the earth, and all of its inhabitants have experienced and paid for the penalty of sin, Our world has experienced futility and corruption. Another word would be our world has experienced suffering. We all have suffered. Truth is, if we want a little reminder of how this plays out, we just turn on the news. Just one news cycle after another, after another. We're reminded of this, aren't we? We're reminded that we see destruction over and over and over again, whether it is through a flood, through a hurricane, through a drought, through a tornado, they all ravage the earth, all of them. And so from that point of the fall of man until the ultimate future restoration, all of creation is groaning with the pains of childbirth. We're just waiting to be set free from that kind of bondage. And before we move on, I don't want us to overlook the imagery that Paul uses there in verse 22. The whole of creation has been groaning together in the throes of labor, moms among us. (laughs) Let me highlight you for just a moment. It's my understanding that labor is a little painful. That was said like a guy, wasn't it? Ladies, am I right? Labor's a little painful, kind of a rough experience. Few would disagree. Yet, I have not met a mother who wouldn't do it all over again that they might receive the blessing of that child. 
It is a blessing that you receive after suffering. You suffer, you have pain, and it produces something that is glorious. It's a beautiful picture for us when we're looking and considering Paul's writing in this text. Now let's move on. Let's go on to the final portion of our text today. Let's pick it up at Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And not only the creation, we've established that the creation is eager, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. A hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul says believers are groaning inwardly too. That means that we still experience suffering personally. It's raw, it's real cuts us to our core. Now, quick aside for just a moment. If anyone tells you that the Christian experience does, is void of suffering, they're dishonest. That is not a biblical Christianity. If you read the Scriptures, it is very clear that people go through seasons of difficulty and pain and suffering. I can honestly say that I have not met a mature follower of Jesus Christ who has not experienced some measure of suffering. Most, most of the people who I would say that person is like Jesus, they have matured in their faith. Most of those people have suffered deeply, whether it is through relationships or grief or career failures or personal struggles. Suffering is the stuff of life in a fallen world, and it molds us and it shapes us. And that's why Paul gives us this second truth today, that God's people groan in hope of our full redemption. God's people groan with a confident expectation, the hope that we have of full redemption. So for all who are in Christ today, by God's grace, through your faith, the pain and the grief that you are experiencing today does not lack a measure of expectation and a measure of hope. I want to pause right here. Because I can imagine that right now there's someone here today and they're thinking, hold up. Wait a minute. That sounds far too religious and you have absolutely no idea the pain that I'm struggling with. You're telling me that I have hope in the midst of what I am walking. You're right. I don't know your pain. I have no idea what you're experiencing. And it would be wrong for me to pretend that I do. But what I can offer you in the midst of your pain, 
what I can point you to in the midst of your struggle is the powerful reality that comes straight from Paul's words. Look at verse 24 again. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Believers have hope because we have already experienced our salvation. That's why in the midst of our pain, we can have expectation. We can have eagerness for what's ahead. It's really fantastic if you think about it. But you'd say, wait a second, I'm still in the midst of it. That's right, you are. Because your salvation has not been fully realized. This is why theologians will declare this sort of tension that believers live in, in the now and the not yet. What we experience right now is different than what we will experience. But as we look at this text Paul highlights that God has given believers the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of our salvation. So that is the now. We are saved now. He's given us the Holy Spirit now. But <laughs> we are not yet experiencing the full reality of our eternity with Christ. We're not there yet. Now again, some of you might be thinking, what does this have to do with my pain and my suffering? How can you offer me any real hope? Because our hope rests on the established truth that literally changed the entire world. The sinless life. The sacrificial death. The bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the payment for your sin and for mine. And church, that, that reality, the reality of Christ gives deep, fulfilling hope to the hurting. So if you're in Christ today, you are not without hope. If you are in Christ today, you are not without anticipation for what could come, what is ahead. You are not without confident expectation. I love the way author Timothy Keller explains it. He says, Christians have been armed with the great truth that when received with faith in God, hard things lead to the best things. Hard things lead to the best things. I love that. Now, I could think of a million different illustrations, but one that comes to mind in my own experience. It was a couple summers ago. My family and I, we were up in Ludington, and we were out by the state park. Now, if you know the state park at all, many of you have been there, and if you know the state park, it's a very large state park, but at kind of one end of it is the Big Sobble Point Lighthouse. Now, embarrassingly, I grew up there. I'd never seen it. I'd never walked out there. I'd, never, I'd been in the state park a number of times. I'd never kind of made the journey and made the trek. But any of us who are spending any time at a campground or at a, around a lighthouse, you'll know that the lighthouse typically isn't by the parking lot. You don't just park and go, oh, look, there's the lighthouse. That's not typically how it works. So what we had to do was we had to set out on a couple-mile hike through a campground area on this bike path along the sand dunes. It wasn't strenuous. I don't want to oversell it like, man, it was like walking uphill both ways. It wasn't. 
It wasn't strenuous. It wasn't overwhelming. But there were moments of struggle. It was hot, that kind of thing, in the middle of summer. And all the while, we had this very real sense of expectation and anticipation for what we would see when we arrived. Now, thankfully, the 150-year-old lighthouse did not disappoint. It was cool. In fact, it was the place where we took some of our favorite family photos. You see, confident of what we knew we would see, we endured momentary hardships so we could experience the good thing, the blessing. So church family, whatever it is that you are facing today, whether the path that you are walking is rough, trying to climb over a mountain, or it's an easier one, whatever it is that you are facing in your life, I want to encourage you to rest in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And may I remind you, may I humbly remind you today that your present sufferings will one day give way to future glory. Rest in that hope. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.